Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that, baby. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Decade Project. This is our special One Hit Minute Productions Patreon-exclusive podcast where I talk to some of my favorite people in the world about movies that came out a decade ago. And in the glut of just content, TV, um, increasingly bad blockbuster cinema, um, uh, for the most part, um, with some real saving graces, I like to go back and see the movies that hit or didn't hit for us that still are in conversation today. The Great Anthony Lane was a guide for me, um, but I'm not as militantly uh, 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 like stuck to his belief that you either review the movie on the Friday it comes out or not for 50 years. I'm not quite that militant. I keep it to 10. So this decade project for this year in 2023 is looking at all of the films that came out in 2013. We're usually guided by Letterbox. There are some ones and uh, that are uh, a bit contentious that happened at the end of the year. We haven't hit too many of those yet, but this one is firmly 2013. And now when you say the filmmaker Michael Bay, especially recently on social media, a true champion of everything that that man is about, is my guest. He's a terrific staff writer and a social media manager over at Secret Handshake. He wrote the definitive and so, 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 so necessary um, action movie awards at Vulture with a dear friend of our show, Bill Gadbiri. He's written for Fangoria, Polygon, and he's also done a terrific audio essay on this very network, Mean Guns. As my friend, Brandon, Brandon Strasing. How are you, my friend? I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me on again. I, I love coming back here to talk about stuff. Uh, I think the last time I was on here was to talk about uh, hot Arnold and Predator. So this is <laughs> right in my wheelhouse as usual. <laughs> and we are today going back to 2013 to their American dream is bigger than yours. Yes. 
It's Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. I'm hot. I'm big. No. No. All this began because it was time to push myself harder. Oh, there you go, yes! Otherwise, I was looking at another 40 years of wearing sweatpants to work. Mr. Dobble, are you currently using steroids? I think they messed me up. Don't worry, that's what we specialize in here. Penis magic. I'm a self-made man. I made a lot of money. Maybe yourself ought to spend some of it on a salad. You know who invented salad? Poor people. What's going on, Dio? You ever just get tired of being where you are, Adrian? No. I kind of like it here. I mean, the weights are new to I me. mean, in life, man. When's the last time you paid your rent when it was due? I got a plan to change that. Where'd you do your time, pal? Up north. How you fixed for a job now? You just can't kidnap a guy and take his things. That's so illegal. I'm sure we can. Victor Kershaw is a criminal prick who deserves bad stuff to happen to him. We go through with this, nobody gets hurt, right? <laughs> oh man, we snatch him. There he is! We grab him, signs a few signatures. We give him a protein shake, he doesn't even know what happened. I watched a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. The Sun Jim Gang has successfully acquired every asset you had. What happens now? Now I go to work. Good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. You said no violence. And I meant it when I said it. I swear to God. I cannot kill. Duly noted. Look, when this is over, we'll all go camping. All right? Okay. Brandon, now let's quickly talk. This film, 2013, came out in April of that year. Written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely and Pete Collins. Marcus and McFeely, the guys who then went off and wrote all the Captain America movies, which is patently hilarious to me. So we're <laughs> going to get to that at some point. Stars Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Anthony Mackie. And obviously directed by, I know, one of your faves. This was a movie that when it came out, a lot of people you know, found it grotesque. A lot of people said that it's 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 you know vile it's a it had bay's vile brand of chauvinism according to uh simon abrams over at rogerebert.com if you look at rotten tomatoes which means nothing for the number but means something for the different uh opinions of different critics who rated it either good or bad you know jason bailey who's a, a friend of the show he said maybe he's trying to do a goodfellas dark style comedy but it's certainly as charitably as possible. Michael Bay is no Scorsese. It's got all these things um, that um, had this satirical, that had, had kind of missed, I think, what is like ultimately this deeply cynical and satirical view of America. And I think that he has only aged better. Watching this for us to chat, I was like, man, 
America is ugly in the same way that Showgirls makes America ugly in this movie. And I couldn't wait to talk to you about it because I think it's it's got so much going for it. And that's such a great way to start off is because I was thinking a lot about Ver- Verhoeven while watching this and like, is Bay as smart as Verhoeven? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, but But I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. And it's just one thing I was thinking about while watching it because I did remember the bad reception at the time was... It's funny that he, this was the only movie, like non-Transformers movie he made. Um, oh no, that's not true because he did 13 hours too. But for a while he he did three Transformers in a row and then this was the movie in between three and four. And it's funny because people were so mad about those Transformers movies. I remember those were like considered like the nadir of blockbusters at the time, which if any of your listeners follow me on Twitter, you've seen me losing my mind over those <laughs> recently because they're we're in the nadir of blockbusters right now and those are like a a godsend but anyway (laughs) it's just the reception feels even weirder now because he gave people a small budget comparatively uh kind of more intimate comparatively character drama (laughs) than what he was giving them with these transformers movies and people were like no not that either (laughs) it's like they're like go back they're like we hate those transformers (laughs) movies he's like all right i'm gonna go make like a dark crime movie i'm going to do a kind of (laughs) as as small as i can do i'm going to do my blood simple i'm going to do my like dark little coen brothers movie and at the time you know one of my favorite movies of this era um is kevin smith's red state i truly think that it is kevin smith's like technically best movie i think it has some of his most amazing performances it's terrifying it's wonderful to see with an audience still resonates with me deeply and i remember the time people like go back to doing funny comedies in a <laughs> fucking convenience store and then he went and did that and everyone's like stop making these convenience it's like I-, I don't know guys you all didn't leap at red state you didn't give it a chance and you wonder why the guy keeps going back to the well as he likes to say it's because you fucking shat on him when he decided to do something even moderately different and so then they're like go back to transformers bay that's you the bay we like and it's like man it must feel schizophrenic with that kind of reaction that you're yeah. getting um, but yeah, like the, I remember at the time that I saw it, um, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I didn't, I certainly didn't, I don't remember hating it. I just don't think that I was old enough. I don't I know. This is sort of weird. It's like you're 10 years younger. You're a bit of a movie snob. I still had like the smell of, um, academia on me of like, Oh, Michael Bay, blah, blah, blah. But I kind of, now I'm so different in that. I'm like, all I want is big voices and all I would, the last thing I want often, especially in American filmmaking is subtlety. I want big and I want bombast and I want um, ambition. And I want to be, I want to be always floored by the attempt, even if the final execution of the dive doesn't, you know, result in the perfect entry into the water. I, I actually want the big splash. I want, I want a bit of, I want, I want some precision, but I want some flair. And I, and this movie when you see it, it's like, you know, for a lot of the people in it, I'm like, oh my God, I miss when Mark Wahlberg took like the wildest swings. And I miss that Dwayne Johnson could relish being completely and wholly unlikable. And, and, and even someone like Anthony Mackie, who's had a much more interesting career, happily, happily playing a whole bunch of different roles. It's like, yeah, I don't need to see him in Marvel movies. He's a terrific actor. I really like yeah. him doing other weird 
stuff. Um, and from an Australian's perspective, I love his weird and perverted relationship with Rebel Wilson. I love it so much. It's re- <laughs> it's really it plays for me and tickles me. And so yeah, going back to it, I was like, I can totally see why people maybe maybe we're in a different time. Maybe we're in a luckier time where the entire environment um, was more you know, was more rich as far as the different kind of content that we were seeing. It was more rich in times in kind of the blockbusters that we were seeing at the time. So people were very dismissive, but um, much in the same way that like Black Hat drops on Netflix and becomes the number one movie there for six weeks. <laughs> I feel like Pain and Gain's like that kind of movie. Like it, it comes out now and people are like, this is fucking amazing. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's gross. It's different. It has an entire mood and tone. Um, and it has a personality that is extremely sought after that we just don't, we're not, getting satiated nearly as often as we like well you, you sparked a few thoughts for me um one i want to come back to the cohen's because you mentioned them and i have uh, thought about that but the biggest thing is thinking back to when i first saw this i wasn't the bayhead i am now i you know i was one of those people back then that was like oh like the rock and armageddon are top tier but uh bad boys is great and blah 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 like but i wasn't but this was like deep in that transformers run and i was i had i actually walked out of the second one because i thought it was awful like i walked out halfway through and was just like this is terrible and i'm, I'm glad to know he feels the same way that he doesn't like that movie either but um uh but no the, one of the best trailers for that franchise by oh, the way for sure yeah Dark of the Moon. I, like when that when that when that when like bay's doing the space program and digging up transformers on the moon i'm like I fucking oh wait no that was this. Revenge of the Fallen oh was Revenge too. of the Fallen oh, Dark sorry. of the Moon is great Dark of yeah. the Moon is like a tremendous movie yeah <laughs> like best hour of action I've ever seen in yeah. an American blockbuster yeah. but but uh, anyway you you mentioned like being too young at the time and I think that's what it was for me too is like definitely some of the wrong lessons when I watched this for the first time I liked <laughs> it a lot but it was like oh yeah this is hilarious this is great you know this is like I knew that these were bad guys and everything like I wasn't I knew the movie wasn't endorsing them. But watching it now it was such an odd experience. I, I I started to mention that off mic, and then you were like, "Let's start recording." And and that's what I was about to say was it's it's not that I'm like av- averse to like grotesquery now, but as an older person, like thirty two now, like feeling much more mature than I did back then, it it did really upset me some of the violence in oh, this yeah. movie, and and it like you're watching it and you're like, Oh, like, of course it's not endorsing them, but it's really not endorsing them. Like it's cruel. The the cruelty is just, it's just completely right on front street. They're not, there is no quandary for the audience. You know how cruel and disgusting these people are. And I, that's the, I'm like, that's why I respect this movie so much more. When they try to run over um, Tony Shalhoub, that scene was so upsetting for me. I'm watching it. I'm just like this. And it's weird because I can watch something like John Wick and even that after a certain point, I love the fourth John Wick, one of the best movies I've seen all year. But like, even that, like, you know, with the constant headshots after a while, you're just like, oh my God, this is like, like <laughs> I, I don't know how much more I can take of this. But that feels more cartoonish. This felt like cartoonish, but in a way that was also very plausible. And it just it was really hard to watch. And on top of that, I think what makes it so hard to watch is that The Rock is really anchoring this movie as kind of the fucked up part of the movie and it's yeah. his best performance by a mile i think and by 20 miles it's so yeah. fucking good and you feel so bad for him even though you know you shouldn't because you feel like this poor guy has been like roped into something he's too stupid to understand and he's just trying to be a good person and i think at every turn where this movie is like 
look how fucked up these guys are. You should hate them. You almost can't because not just because of him, but because I think a lot of people might relate to, you know, his Mark Wahlberg's little speech at the end. You know, I just wanted to be like you. And for a minute I was, and like as warped and awful as Daniel Lugo is, and I'm sure the real person was, I, I'm, I'm sure the real Daniel Lugo was le way less sympathetic than this one. <laughs> there, There is a part of you that watches this, especially now with like, you know, not to get too heady about it, but like I just yesterday I left the grocery store with two bags of groceries and spent $110. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm watching the, the, this movie and I'm like, yeah, like I, I feel that. Like I feel like not even wanting to be rich, but just be okay. And it's like- To not worry. To not yeah. like you know to not have to constantly go how much is this and how much is it going to cost to do this with my friends like even something simple it's just like especially now and I totally empathize with that it's like as like um I don't even know if I've talked about it much but like I I was I I I took a year I took a year to study to go into teaching I was really passionate about it and I loved it but in Australia as a beginning teacher especially when you're starting as late as I started um you're starting on an amount of money that is like, Oh, cool. Like I can be destitute. Like I can't own a house for like five years, you know, like wow. I, I like, it's like, you can't, you, you know, I'd, I'd become accustomed with like day jobs that like were quite lucrative. And, and so that you could, and, and not lucrative in a way that like is crazy. Just like I had a decent amount of money that I could support my family and do these, you know, do these pod projects, which I'm so passionate about and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, there's a certain point where I was like, I can't like literally can't afford to be a teacher anymore because otherwise I'm going to have to tell my kids we're moving out of their house. <laughs> like it's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. And so it's just like, this is awful. It's, it's a, the worst feeling to be in and, and, and you can totally feel and sense an increasing level of desperation. And that's that desperation breeds this, you know, this kind of like apathetic opportunism. And it's like, it's in the culture it's around and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I even think about it like during the pandemic of like, you know, especially in Australia, that was like constant videos. You'd be checking for videos on social media about, okay, which shopping center can we go to where there aren't fights for toilet paper? Yeah. Um, you know, like that's the kind of, and you know, in my local area, there was a couple, you're like, don't go there. There's lots of fights about toilet paper. <laughs> um, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, this movie feels like it's really aged into itself. And, and I think that, yeah, like you said about Bay right at the top, it's like people thinking he's not, maybe as whip smart as some of those directors we have mentioned, like the, you know, the Coens and things like that, but he's certainly not dopey. He knows the movie he's making and his style. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the same way that Dave Chappelle might say like that Rick James bit. He's like, Oh, people are like, I'm Rick James, bitch. Like people are just always like, it's so quotable. They become so poppy and so catchy, like in a way that movies can become because of the style, but it's like none of the substances like, that doesn't diminish the substance. If you take the no. wrong message from the movie, that's on you. <laughs> like, exactly. It's, yeah. It's in, and it's, it's the, the, the Cohen thing is interesting to me because it didn't solidify how much of a fan of the Coens he is until I watched Transformers Dark of the Moon because, of course, there's so many know, people. Was, was it Dark like, of the Moon or was it? Well, when you've got like Francis McDormand, John Goodman, that's what it was. John Malkovich. Goodman, Malkovich. Um, yeah, it was uh, Dark of the Moon. Totoro, yeah. yeah, you're like, oh man, this guy is a big fan. Yeah, and in these movies, like his smaller movies, like this Ambulance, they're, they're like morality plays, like the Coens. It's like idiots who get in over their head, 
who just want the best for themselves because the world hasn't given them anything. And it's like, you it's it, these are like, I, I never, it never really hit me until watching that Transformers movie. Like, that his movies are Coen Brothers movies, just like on steroids. It's, it's <laughs> crazy. Like you feel bad for these people. They're terrible people. Like Jake Gyllenhaal in Ambulance is a terrible person, but you you understand and sympathize with wh- why he's doing what he's doing, more so with Yaya Abdul Mateen. But yes. um, but it's just it's it, it it's just wild watching this now, and you're just like, man, I I have thought, and I would never do this, but I have thought like in like rare moments of like worry i've have thought like how hard would it be to rob a bank <laughs> this is a question that everyone can relate to on anyone who listens to any show that we've ever done has always thought how hard would it be to rob a bank maybe yeah. not maybe not what kind of bank what maybe, bank maybe one of those about? maybe one of those banks that you see in hell or high water where yes. there's like one person working and like... one of those yeah i'm like the hell high water banks yes the heat bank no you yeah. can't do that but uh, but yeah, um, I uh, just I had a thought in it. Oh, one of, one of the funny things when you when you brought up Wahlberg is um, when you said that you wish that he would do more, you know, stretch himself a little more like he did in this. I was watching this thinking about how much what in his real life persona mirrors the Rock's persona in this movie, 100%. where he's like like head first into like Christianity and like I'm renouncing my my past which somehow doesn't include all the actual terrible things he's done but is like <laughs> all these movies I made that might upset God and it's like it's so funny how like he's morphed into that rock persona where it's like I'm a Christian but for all the wrong reasons <laughs> it's just it was it's just very funny watching it on that like kind of metatextual level which like obviously we couldn't have been known or intended at the time but it's just it's funny now because you're right. Wahlberg doesn't stretch himself anymore, and it's it's a shame because I think with Bay he's at its best in this movie. I think he's in the Transformers movies. Everyone hates the two that he stars in. I think he's excellent in those movies. He gets exactly what he needs he needs to do in those movies. And I don't know. I think um, to quote my friend Liam, who always uh, he, he I don't know if he created this term, but he calls it hooking an actor up. Uh, yes, and. And I think Bay does that better than anyone for Wahlberg. He makes Wahlberg look like the movie star he should be. And yeah, I uh, don't know how I got on that tangent. But... No, that, but you're right. There is a hookup element. And um, I remember people talking about this in a funny way of like uh, Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller were going to make Sin City, especially the first Sin City. And they were casting it and they were looking at it. And some of the ways that he convinced people like Clive Owen and like that incredible cast in that first Sin City movie to be a part of the movie is like, they had all seen Desperado and they'd all seen how good Antonio Banderas looks. They're like, he looks sexier, more alluring and cooler than almost any human being that has ever been in an action movie. It's like almost the peak of hotness and just coolness and had such a, overwhelming impact even in it's like small cultural uh, you know small um uh, financial footprint but then became like an immediate cult hit and there were so many of those actors like man if if i can just get robert rodriguez to shoot me a little bit like he shot antonio then i'm gonna feel so cool in this movie i'm gonna look at it and really like my work and and that's that's the hookup it's like knowing exactly who you've got and making and giving them the biggest canvas to look the coolest they can possibly look and and be and to make big choices even if they seem extra 
I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that that's no. exactly what this movie needs. And this whole movie is about being extra. It's like extra, extra, extra. It's like it has much more in common with the Coen brothers and the Wolf of Wall Street than people give it credit for. Because like it, people are like, oh, Wolf of Wall Street glorifies this behavior. I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, what is this? So funny. The Wolf of Wall Street came out this year too, didn't it? Like, uh, that's so, yeah, this year. Yeah, exactly. It's so yeah. funny that these are two period pieces made in 2013 that kind of like sort of predict <laughs> how bad America's going to get 10 years on. It's it's wild. Yes. But, um, but yeah, just that, the, there's a sense of gravitas just shooting a movie star like a movie star gives them that like sometimes can even be mistaken into thinking they're giving a good performance. Like you brought up Sin City. I think Jessica Alba is a terrible actress. She was one of my first crushes, but I think she's a terrible <laughs> actress. But like, sure. I remember so many images of her from Sin City because she shot like a movie star. And it's yes. like similar. Bay does a similar thing in all of his movies. Uh, to me, most impressively in Six Underground, because I'm not a Ryan Reynolds fan. I think he's so irritating. I, but <laughs> I think in that movie, he shot with like, a level of weight and gravity where I'm just like, this guy is giving a good performance. And I wonder sometimes I'm like, is he, or is he just shot that way? Yeah. Well, and that, <laughs> that's the miracle of the movie, which is a year earlier, which I which is one of my regrets that I didn't get a chance to do it. And I might just make an excuse to talk about it. Daniel Espinosa in 2012, who basically was doing his version of a Tony Scott movie, made a movie called safe house. that stars Denzel I've never Washington. Seen it, but I remember it was that movie. Yeah. This one is, that's one where I look at Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, Oh, he's a movie star because he can yeah. actually go toe to toe with Denzel in it. And Denzel's wonderful in it. And it feels like the lost Tony Scott movie because Tony had, you know, pretty much passed by this point. So it was just like, <clears throat> um, or, or like, or, or, you know, I, I was, I was watching, I was like, wait, this is not a Tony Scott. What are we doing? Like, who, who is this guy, Daniel Espinosa? Like he's, <laughs> he's clearly made a, a really, really solid movie. And um, that was the time that I was like, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is a really good actor. And and I had that same experience with him for the longest time um, as well. But yeah, you're so right. Jessica Alba, she is bad. And the reason that she is bad <laughs> is because the other frustrating thing is, and look, I'm not a pervert creep, but when you play a character that's a stripper, and everyone else in the movie is like naked and there's lots of nudity and Sin City is like, wears its heart on its sleeve that it's like this sort of dark per pulp. She's a stripper who doesn't take her clothes off in the movie. I'm like, this is the dumbest <laughs> casting of all time. Like, it's just really stupid. It doesn't it's make so any funny. sense. Yeah, because I remember I read those those comics before the movie came out and in, in that... Um... I think that's the, is that the hard goodbye? I think, I don't know, but uh, yeah. I, I think that's the name of that uh, Marv's comic. And it, um, Nancy is like naked in the entire comic. Yeah. And then when you see the movie, you're like, oh, well, she definitely had a clause in her contract, which fair enough to her. I mean, <laughs> but it is just, it's funny casting where you're like, the one actress who won't get nude for you is playing, it's just playing stripper. the stripper. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, try that on Elizabeth Berkeley next time you do you know, showgirls. Um, but no, I, that was my thought with this. I was just like, this is really, really interesting. And it's um, the, you know, this film is actually based on the Sun Jim gang. And um, according to internet research, give it what you will. Um, they, they totally, they had attempt to to kidnap their first victim a total of seven times and failed before they actually did before they actually kidnapped someone. Um, it's it was only a twenty million dollar movie at the time, um, which is his Bay's lowest budget since Bad Boys One. 
Um, wow. Uh, and again, back to Miami, back to the source, if you will. Um, he loves that shot of the Miami sign. Loves, loves the Miami <laughs> sign. Um, he's been loving that since his film clip days, but it's like Bay, <laughs> Wahlberg, Johnson, everyone took pay cuts to do this smaller movie um, because they had been drawn to the script. And The Rock was, this is the first time that we see Dwayne Johnson. He's like 300 pounds of muscle in this movie. It's and then crazy. Wahlberg, Wahlberg yeah. is 212. It's like these guys are so massive. It's awesome. It's really it's, cool. It's so crazy. Like I, I grew up a wrestling fan and The Rock never looked like that. Never. And even, even in his other best performance, Southland Tales, he's like a twig compared to this. And he's still in great shape in Southland Tales. <laughs> but in this, he's like, it, it's, it's absurd how big they are in this movie. Even Anthony Mackie, who's not really that big of a guy, is, is like in incredible shape in this movie. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. And it's, it's that, that's a it's a wild thing that they're like i'm gonna i'm gonna really commit we're gonna commit to the bit we're gonna be as absolutely big as we possibly can and yeah it's just it it, it just plays in all the right ways so I, I i think that that's really good and we have to talk about tony shalhoub because poor tony shalhoub is just like a he's a uh he's kind of like an archetype of this successful jewish man in america in modern america whose family has gone through all these sorts of trauma to be successful has worked his entire life has become like this smart businessman and then who becomes a target for exploitation from these guys who don't realize how sort of deeply um like deeply bent and their worldview is so bad that they're not even considering that like how awful they look or maybe the real life characters do but the movie certainly doesn't address it but it's like how awful they are of like oh there's like these Americans who are more American than him and deserve his money. So the only way that, you know, they can do it is kill him because, um, <laughs> and take it all or like exploit him to take it all and then go off and do whatever they want. It's, it's really a fascinating, um, um, look and he, you know, he was huge at the time he was doing monk. He was as big as he was in popular culture at the time. And to watch this poor guy, just like get all of this, at the time it was really really tough and um yeah a, a really tough a really tough performance for him to give but because of how brutal they are to him throughout the whole movie but um also just shows how wildly much smarter he is than these three idiots and he he feels probably the most annoyed at himself that he got caught in this trap from these three idiots right from the outset it, it's so funny how he repeatedly tricks uh Dwayne Johnson <laughs> into almost letting him go <laughs> so many like... times and it's funny that you you brought up how brutal it is because I was thinking that too. It's he's very unlikable in this. Like he's just like constantly just like you want to hate him because he's like so wealthy. He's like very rude to his employees and everything and and, and stuff like that. But but what's happening to him is so upsetting that you're like I feel awful for this guy. And and like you said, you brought up the fact that he's you know a, a Jewish American who's like made his wealth on his own in this country in spite of the fact that like this country you know is very anti-semitic and <laughs> and so like it's just a very like deep layer there where you're like this guy sucks but i feel awful for him like he kind of doesn't deserve this even though nah. he's like like horrible to the people in his life he's he still doesn't deserve this and no one does and it's it's just it's it's such an interesting dynamic and performance and and i love to um the different changes in perspectives for a few minutes, like all the different narration to the point where like at one point you get um, 
I was trying to look up the actress's name. I, I think her name is Bar Bar Paley. She plays yeah, who's uh, Serena. Yeah, she's yeah, uh, she's Mark Wahlberg's girlfriend. Yeah, I love that. That there's that brief window into her mind, <laughs> yeah. which is it's so not, funny. It's a small window. <laughs> it's a small window. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this script is is like great in that respect. I, it's it's so funny. And and you brought up that they went on to just do Marvel after this, which is like wild. It's. I like almost couldn't believe it watching this that these are the same guys that like basically do all the Russo marvels. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pretty much, Marcus and McFeely's credits. Now, this is wild. They did the first Avenger. So, oh, actually, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go even further back. They do uh, Chronicles of Narnia, 2005. They then do a little, um, a little movie called You Kill Me, which is uh, stars Taylorioni and and um, um, Ben Kingsley and Luke Wilson for John Dahl. So. Um, a, a little, a, a little sort of independent movie in 2007. Then they do Prince Caspian, 2008, um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, 2010, and then by 2011 they're into Captain America: The First Avenger. They do that after they do the First Avenger. They do Pain and Gain, and then Thor, then Winter Soldier, then Agent Carter, then Civil War, then Infinity War, Endgame, and The Gray Man, and. <laughs> It's a wild thing to think that these guys have done literally some of the biggest movies ever made and they make pain and gain. And I, and I had this question, like my favorite, what if about this? Cause we've kind of covered, we haven't gone to the reclamation yet. We've talked about then, but my favorite, what if is like, could you imagine watching pain and gain, seeing these gigantic small gentlemen and although this movie is really dark, could you have imagined that Anthony Mackie would have won out the competition as to who would be Captain America against the rock and Mark Wahlberg <laughs> watching pain and gain. Cause you're like, no, Anthony Mackie is like this weedy, you know, sycophantic, like little parasitic person. He's kind of disgusting and gross. And, you know, the only thing that's kind of nice about him is his relationship with rebel Wilson, which is also kind of weird and perverted at the same time. And it's just, 
yeah, like there's just no way that that would have ever crossed my mind that he would be that. And like, yeah, nine years later, um, you know, that that's we're on the press or well, 10 years later, we're on the precipice of an Anthony Mackie starring Captain America movie, which they kind of set up with Avengers Endgame. And it's just like, wow, this is just wild. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, you you never would have expected that. And like, what's even crazier to me is that Wahlberg hasn't done any superhero stuff yet. You think he would have been first in line and of he's course. like, yeah, he's, he's done none of that. And, you know, we saw how the rocks went. Uh, he changed the hierarchy of an entire company. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I just, it's the rocks that... change the hierarchy of the DC universe tweets are almost as good as the, the, <laughs> um, the dark universe tweets, you know, where it's like, they're uh, yeah. making the universal movie monsters again with Javier Bardem and Johnny Depp. And it's like those tweets <laughs> in my mind have aged exactly the same way. It's just oh, perfect. Sure. The moment and that it, it was tweeted, it's like, oh my God, it's just, thank you. And and I know he's not solely responsible for this, but it is kind of funny that it seems like Warner Brothers, like woes have like directly tied into that movie being such a like high profile failure. Although it made more than The Flash its opening weekend, which oh is nuts. But um, <laughs> But no, the the uh, the Anthony Mackie thing. When you brought this up to me before we started recording, you were like, "Isn't that crazy?" Like, out of these three guys, he's he's now our Captain America. It made me think about how, like, when Tim Burton was hired to do Batman, yes, it, it, he was coming off of Beetlejuice, and and at the time, like, I mean, obviously, I wasn't even born yet, but at the time, like, I know that, like, I, I think it was the Blank Check podcast who made this joke that, where they said they they were talking about how. I'm going to butcher it, but the joke was basically like Warner Brothers calls Tim Burton and we're like, we loved what you did on Beetlejuice. You know, would you like to direct Batman? And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I actually just worked with someone on Beetlejuice who I think would be great. And like, and Warner Brothers is like, oh yeah, we have Alec Baldwin on the other line. And he's like, no, <laughs> hang up. I'm talking about Michael Keaton. <laughs> like, that's kind of the similar thing here. Like you would have never expected like this person in this movie would like Alec Baldwin would have made the most sense as Batman. And, oh my, like, especially at the time of Beetlejuice. So attractive. The voice yeah. is everything he's he's he did the shadow like back then the hot alec baldwin my god it's crazy and like who would have thought like keaton would have ended up being the definitive batman for so many people it's just it's it's crazy absolutely and um who knows if anthony mackie's going to be the definitive captain america but i mean he i think he it's exciting that he's doing it yeah, it's, I, I don't the, love the, those the, movies, but yeah. I, I I don't love those movies either. Um, uh, but I do love I love the first of Captain America, the first Avenger, oh, and the Captain yeah. America, the Winter Soldier is terrific as well. And even Infinity War and Endgame are their own miraculous things of like tying together this you know big serialized ensemble storytelling without a single protagonist. But they kind of had their they had their place and their fit. And and again, I think you and I were talking. The only thing that matters is do you feel things in, right. in a movie? That's my only metric of success. Did I feel happy? Did I feel moved? Did I feel aroused? And not in just a horny way, but like, did it, was I scared? Was I fearful? Did I care about the plot of the characters? And did it make me feel something in the experience of watching it? That's the only thing that resonates with you. Does it resonate or not? And it's and funny, the, like you, oh, sorry. Oh no, sorry. You, you please go. No, just really quick. Like, it's funny. Cause like Endgame, I think, looks like absolute garbage but i can't lie and say i didn't feel anything like that movie just somehow works and it's not my favorite movie top to it's bottom. Not one out. Yeah, yeah top top to bottom it it you it is undeniable it yeah it, it makes it even if it's just in the briefest of moments 
briefest of scenes, small scenes, big scenes. It's like, man, that movie plays. It plays and, like gangbusters. And I think even though this movie is such a jump from uh, their Marvel stuff, there is kind of like a, they do a great job of weaving in these very distinct characters, everything that they're dealing with, you know, bouncing around one another. It kind of, this this is kind of a pretty decent test run for doing a big ensemble Marvel movie because you have three, well, Anthony Mackie wasn't a big star yet, but you have three pretty big stars that you have to like kind of give room to in this movie. And I think they do it really well. And it, so, I mean, I guess as an audition, well, first Avenger was done first, but still like as an audition to do bigger ensemble movies, this it's, it's a pretty, pretty solid effort. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really good. And then it's, even funnier that when you talk about like superhero movie or something big and, and loud and bombastic, it's like, and then the other big elephant in the room is that Michael Bay hasn't done one. Yeah. Michael, Michael Bay hasn't done a superhero movie. And you're like, wow, Michael Bay. Like bad boys, bad boys is a superhero movie. Now. Yeah. No, no, they wouldn't let him. Yeah. Cause he's made the transformers. They're too, they're, the, the movie, like, especially in the contemporary environment, like, I don't know how this happened, but you, and you don't ever know what the truth of the matter is, but it's like Bay's movies at the time are like $200 million yeah. movies. And these days, like like someone was saying that Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was $275 million to make. There is a rumor like, that it might've gone up to 329. There's like oh, a, yeah. I don't know if the how Titanic, true the Titanic, <laughs> where they built fucking the Titanic again was 300 ish 200 if, 300 if dial of destiny cost 329 it does not show on screen no, like i don't know a, where where that guess is what does titanic it exactly. shows it shows <laughs> on screen um it's wow it's absurd it ambulance was made for what 40 million 40 50 million i 40, love that pocket 40 40 to 60 heat was made for 66 wow and those have some of the best action in, of any movie ever. Like ambulances blowing up helicopters and, and, sh and like ambulances and it cost 40 million. That's nuts. Yeah. It's, Ugh. it's, it's really crazy. And it's like, and even the big mission movies, you know, I think they were saying that the cost of the missions as it stands right now is like 300 or like cl closer to 300 million. Um, but there's a couple of major things. Number one, they're location shooting everywhere. Number two, they have massive stars and the biggest star in the world. Number three, they are truly ambitiously doing the biggest stunts perhaps that have ever been produced for blockbuster cinema ever for Macquarie. Macquarie's got like trains crashing and crews flying off fucking mountains and all this stuff. Like it's just absolute lunacy. And it's, and it's like, and they had the quandary of having to be produced throughout intra-pandemic so then how much more does that shit cost when every single day you've got to have every single medical staff member there all the additional materials and equipment that you need to do to make sure things are safe uh, apart from the safety of the stunts but the safety of the people that are doing it and transporting people and and bodies and stunts and all that sort of stuff all over the world when you've got the pandemic on so it is but but it's like those things are uh, so massive but it's like okay well they they sort of feel and then there's marketing and everything but they sort of feel like they're they sort of feel like they're like doing something really different than 
Indiana Jones, which when you're making a period movie these days, and especially one that's around the Disney world um, uh, productions, it's always like, we're doing it in a room that we can have a gigantic screen that makes it look like this rather than a set or rather than right. going to and, a location. And not, not to bash Dial of Destiny too much. Cause like, I know people like it and everything, but I, one thing I will say is like, just thinking about how dynamic Bay's filmmaking is in comparison. I generally like James Mangold. He's not, I think he's a very solid journeyman. I don't think he's ever done better than Copland, but, um, but Love Copland. I, it's so great, but there's, it's funny thinking about the budget of Dial of Destiny and everything. There's the, a really, it, it, I, I hopefully most people have seen Dial of Destiny. I, I'm assuming people who listen to this have, but it doesn't seem to have been a big movie, so I don't know. But um, but there's a really ex, like long extended chase sequence where like Phoebe Waller Bridge is in one cart, he's in another cart. They're going going down like this long winding like road and everything. And I'm I'm just thinking about like if Bay had shot that one, it would have actually been outside. It would have they like, he never would have let he never would have yeah. let people be in like yeah. fake cards i mean he a nun gets hit in the face with a slow-mo dove in six underground like yeah. i was like this movie is terrific exactly and in dial of destiny it's just it feels like the banter that they're doing it feels like a scene from like the american version of the office where it's shot reverse <laughs> shot of two actors talking to each other in separate carts while they're barreling to, it's just it was maddening and i'm just like where's where's the energy like a, a bay would bring and it's funny like i just don't think he would be allowed to do that in a major IP based blockbuster anymore because he just, his style is so dis definitive that he would, it would push up against with whatever the house style style is at the studio. And it's frustrating because I would love to see as much as I'm sick of superhero movies. I'd love to see what like a Bay, like I think Spielberg was attached to a Blackhawks movie for DC, which is like yeah. their like fighter jet or yeah. fighter pilot comic. And I would love to see what Bay's version of that would look like, but I mean, it's never going to happen. <laughs> no, I, I think at the end of Transformers three, just because he'd made, I think one of the first, well, technically Avatar had made the billion, but like the Transformers franchise had been like a billion dollar franchise or even bigger than a billion. I think it might've even been like 1.6 by the third movie. $1.6 billion franchise that had made so much money at the cinema and it had made so much money in merchandise and so much money in home entertainment that like, I think at that time he could have almost made anything that he wanted. Um, and he was, he decided to just go off and make this like relatively low risk thing. And then people were like, no, go back to the thing that yeah. makes us all the money. Um, and so he went off and did that. And, but I'm, increasingly fascinated especially with the last sort of few years of his career of like oh bay's going to make ambulance and bay's going to go make 13 hours and that stuff is the stuff that's the stuff that michael ba michael mann looks at michael bay stuff and is like yeah he's doing it he's exactly really doing it. and and i think this phase of his career is very interesting too because it is a very angry phase he's always had like a running streak of like people call misdiagnose him as like a rah-rah americana you know filmmaker and I don't think that's true. I think he loves soldiers, but I think he hates the military. Yeah. And and I think like you see that in The Rock, like way back in, in that, like Ed Harris's whole team has been mistreated. And, you know, he has kind of a valid reason for doing what he's doing. Like, no, I don't think we should drop chemical weapons on American citizens. But I mean, you sympathize with Ed Harris. And then by this point, uh, by, by pain and gain, there's like this just feeling of so, such anger of where america's heading and it's it's like bay is like 
so keyed in more than anyone, probably because he lives the same sort of excessive lifestyle as the people he's portraying that he maybe gets it better than anybody else that like America's fucked up. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's rolling over into his, like this, this kind of feels like a start of like the next phase of his career, starting with pain and gain. And then you go into transformers four and it's a very funny way to look at it, but that, that movie kind of continues the anger at the way we treat people who fight for this country because the Autobots fought for America, essentially. <laughs> and then in Transformers 4, they're being hunted and killed. <laughs> and it's like, and, and then, you know, 13 Hours, I think it got misdiagnosed as like, you know, I didn't see it even at the time because I was like, oh, this is Bay's Benghazi movie. This is going to be a nightmare. But then when you watch it, it's very like somber, like almost like we shouldn't be in this country doing this kind oh, of I, movie. I, that, that's one that, you know, if, if, if this project goes for a couple more years like when we're in 2026 i'll be talking about 13 hours as like truly um a successor to the kind of miami vice level action uh dynamism that that action has like on a much more be on a much larger canvas because you're dealing yeah. with like actual warfare rather than you know urban warfare that is a result of like drug cartels and police and stuff like that but like 13 hours is a terrific terrific movie like and especially he does paint he goes darker the moon then pain again then age of extinction which was not a good movie and then 13 hours and i'm like oh, i love this and then i saw six underground as soon as six underground was coming out i'm like yep great bay's doing like a sort of spy franchise i'm in and I watched it in 2019 when it came out. I watched, like, it was one of the last screenings of the year in Australia. It was one of those ones that I think they were just layering all the participants up with booze and canapes and stuff to be like, <laughs> have a good time. And to be honest, I wasn't particularly tiddly, but I was like, oh, yeah, this is like every cent that they pay, that Netflix paid Michael Bay to make this movie is on the screen. There's not this I, huge I would have loved to have seen that in a theater. Oh, oh so like, good in a theater. Yeah. Really great. And it's a shame because I feel like giving him that kind of money is like one of the last times Netflix would ever do that for a filmmaker like him because it's like him, Scorsese, they all got in got in rate at the last moment because like I, I don't even know who Netflix is giving money to now other than like Extraction, which I really liked the second Extraction. I, I, Me um, too. I like yeah. those movies a lot. Yeah, and and I think like you know, this is a whole nother tangent that I'm not going to get into, but those movies get unfairly wrapped up in like the bad American action that's being made right now. And it's really like Sam Hargraves has the goods, like, I'm sorry, but like, no, he, um, he's a terrific action filmmaker. It's like, and it's also, um, those things about the extraction movies, it's just one magic ingredient that some of the other huge Chris Hemsworth movies haven't had. They've never had how he's a charming Australian. Right. And hearing him just like be Australian and have Australian sort of, um, and then you've got sort of like Indian British, and then you've got British, and then you've got American, and then you've got Eastern European actors all performing in their own accents, all against each other. I'm like, I love the eclectic international nature of this thing where people don't have to put on a generic accent. I, I, I really love it. And I feel like Hargraves is like that kind of like, um, you know, he's kind of like halfway between Gareth Edwards, like the raid and Michael Bay. Like he's kind of got, he's got his finger in both of those pies and it's working yeah. for him. And so like, make, keep making that. They're the only Netflix movies that I see. And I'm like, yeah, every cent they spend on this is right there. It's right there exactly. for us to see. I felt the same way. And it's funny, like you, uh, 
I was talking about this with another friend recently. I think Hemsworth is like the closest successor we have to Arnold because when you allow him to use his real accent, Arnold couldn't cover his up like Hemsworth can, but like when you allow he's like this big hulking guy, but he's charming. He he can have fun and he I, I don't know. I, I really like Chris Hemsworth and I'm glad that he has these movies to kind of show what he's more capable of doing because I don't know. He was that last Thor movie was was tough stuff, but um. it, was, it was really tough. I and, and it just made me yearn for extraction where he's just slapping thirty kids. You know, like yeah. I'm like fuck off, slapping yeah. his Aussie accent. I'm like, this is the best. This is this is totally great. Oh man, but but, um, but now Pain and Gain, it really seems to be a movie that um, when I mentioned that I was watching it, when you and I were talking about maybe doing this together, it is a movie that is completely it it, is like a wine that has a vintage it is now people going like wow this is this was something great um at the time it was something that definitely was lumped into this big american triumphalist sort of philosophy but it's it's way more deep and way more nuanced than i think people originally thought and its ugliness is on show on purpose nothing is lacking intention it's just like the style some people think subverts the bite but i but the bite is there like it's it's it, you know and and um you know a mutual friend of ours vice um who you speak to many times was one of the people who really caught me onto like the ongoing um relationship and bay's deep um skepticism of the american industrial uh american military industrial complex and it's like although it's not directly a military movie it's just talking about it's it's really just having a look at american dream and going like this the american dream is a flawed idea that uh, is almost like bending people to be opportunistic and exploitative and awful and we have to start looking inward and this is really when his movies turn inward and every one of the movies that he's he creates after that are these introspective in the only way that he knows how um but but i i still love it so much for that reason and when i watched it this time around reading to talk to you about it i was like man this has a lot this is really a special movie i felt the exact same way it just it, it honestly made me more sad than i thought it would it just did it, it's yes. like it's a heartbreaking movie like you the like I, I keep saying these people are like awful people but there's just there's these moments where you're just like oh my god like there's the scene where the rock is in the throes of his cocaine addiction and he's standing on the edge of that hotel uh balcony and he's like i had two options and like he says what the one option is but the other option is clearly like he could have jumped from that balcony and it's such this beautiful shot the gray skyline in the background his shirt's flowing in the wind his eyes are just like the worst shade of red you've ever seen and he will, <laughs> it's it's devastating like it's it's like it's so funny but like it's so absurd and hilarious but it twists into like being like this is horrendous like i can't <laughs> yes. believe this guy got to this point and it's i just i felt a deep sadness watching this movie and it's like i was laughing at it having a lot of fun with it but then at the same time i was like man like nothing's gotten better <laughs> like it's... <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's also like when you're yearning for just coke fueled dwayne johnson you're like going absolutely off the rails it's like yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what yeah. I actually wanted. <laughs> I wanted Coke fueled Dwayne Johnson. I wanted the nut. I wanted him going full nuts. So I wanted him looking at his body and looking at all of this work that he does to look so magnificent and then feeling so melancholic. I wanted him to have a bit of emotional depth. And it feels like 
like while the rock is really trying to be the next Arnold, like, as you said, I, I totally agree that he's not. And the cool thing about this movie was him is that melancholy of like chasing a dream that he's never going to get rather than the realization that some of us like action heads really truly get is like, nah, man, you haven't got it. Like Hemsworth's yeah. got it. You haven't got yeah. it. Yeah. And, and what he does have is he's able to play weird. Uh, like, yes. And, and that's what, Batista has tapped into John oh. Cena's started to tap into it. It's like these guys can play weird because they're massive and they're like they're kind of like freakish to look at. Like I think I don't know if you've seen Knock at the Cabin, but M Night Shyamalan weaponizes Batista's size in that incredibly well. I haven't and seen it yet. I'm dying to see it. it it's it's I, I won't spoil it obviously, but there's just like the way he's introduced in that movie. I think it's shown a little bit in the trailer, but you only see his like arms and everything, and you're like, yeah. oh my god, this guy's gigantic. And it's like, there's something weird about that. Like, yes, like we love our action stars to be huge and everything, but there was always something a little bit like weird about them in the eighties and nineties. Like, you know, Dolph had that like undercurrent of being like a legitimate genius and Arnold always kind of had a weird humorous streak. And I just wish the rock would tap into that more. And it's like, this movie feels like the last gasp of something, his kind of like weird acting decisions Wahlberg giving like real performances and the kind of movie that looks at America in a way that's unsubtle but not in a, not talking down to you. Yes, and and I that that two years later was the Big Short, which I had fun with, but that's all we get now are these movies that are like, look at how fucked up America is, but let me explain it to you in a way that you can understand because you're an idiot, and also it's your fault. Like I think I think it's the Dick Cheney movie that he does that in, where at the end Boss, it's basically yeah. like, yeah, that that movie pissed me off so much, like that ending. Where I it's did like, not have a good time with Dick uh, no. with that Dick Cheney movie. I whereas the Big Short, I'm like. This is like the big short felt like a bit of a nexus. It was like, oh, it's got that kind of pain and gain feeling. Yeah. And and when it was when it was acting like it was preaching to you, it was also admitting that it was stupid. So I was kind of like in for it. I was in yeah. for that whole vibe. And then one the time you get to that like really didactic preachy vice, and then it moves into like I couldn't even watch. Don't look, is it? Don't look now. I, Her, I just, terrible movie. I couldn't yeah. watch it. I, I saw so many of the people that I love and respect online. I was just they were like, I hate it. And I was like, you know what? One day in five years i might watch this on netflix when there is absolutely nothing else to watch but then like you know criterion channel programs like johnny mnemonic and i'm like okay i'm sorry <laughs> i have other things to watch you know yeah, but Dol it's like Dolph, I, I... Dolph lundgren is on the criterion channel and adam <laughs> mckay never will be unless they put stepbrothers on there which deserves it but um stepbrothers <laughs> does stepbrothers <laughs> does deserve a, a, a small run on the criterion channel a truly masterful movie <laughs> I think that's a much better look at America than a vice or don't look up. <laughs> we can't top this. We can't top this. This is the way to go out. Brandis Tracy, thank you so much for coming and talking to me about pain and gain and, and coming back 10 years in time. And it's, um, yeah, this, this entire exercise for me is to, to have a look at these different things and to see what's still sticking around. And this one, while, uh, you know, I've had two, two recent chats, one about Alfonso Cuaron's gravity and one pain and gain where these are, you know, movies at the time that had big splashes or had big responses. And, and, and now anytime I even mention them, um, there is a really voracious group of people out there who are super passionate about it. So it's been super fun to navigate through 2013 because it, like we had so many wonderful movies and, and some of these I think now are right in that pocket where new and emerging filmmakers have seen them 
And I feel like there are many filmmakers who've seen Pain and Gain and respect the living shit out of it and are starting to really appreciate just from a formalist perspective, just what a master craftsman Michael Bay is. But they're just like, this one was one of those ones that was really reaching for Cohen's. And I, and, and if I want to stretch and say, play, play this movie, play Red State in a nice double feature somewhere, you're going to have a really great time with an audience about like, um, this is, just call the, the screening series, This is America and have Pain and Gain <laughs> and have Red State and then maybe even chuck 13 hours in there and you'll be having a great time. Oh yeah, definitely. The, those those would be a perfect perfect trilogy of movies. <laughs> and and just just uh, thank you for having me on. It's it's it was really fun doing this. And like you were talking about um, this how this year you're having good conversations, and when you mention them, people respond really well to these movies from that time period. And I didn't occur to me until right now, but a lot of like film Twitter film writers that are on film Twitter we're in their 20s in 2013 and yeah. now we're older we're, we've come of age more and like a lot of these movies were movies that we probably saw like at a formative yeah. time and now we're remembering them so i hadn't thought of that but that's a perfect year to look back on i think for this moment and of you know film writing and everything because there's so many people that are you know younger and, like like not younger but like you know 30s yeah and my aspiration is Brandon, as we move more into these and, and I haven't done it yet, but my aspiration is by the end of the year, everything that we talk about on the decade project, I'm going to go back and I'm going to exhume my reviews at the time. And some of them might be horrendously bad and poorly written takes about these movies. And what the now 38 year old me is going to go back and do is go and look at these movies and go, you know what, with, with much more, I guess, awareness and education of cinema and and, and much more of an awareness of, especially like what you want from a certain kind of mainstream filmmaking or not, um, what your expectations are or not, and what your mode of viewing it or not is like there. It's like at this time I was seeing absolutely everything out and I probably didn't have the best opinion of it. But now when I look back, I'm like, these are the movies that I actually want to revisit, you know? And it feels like we, we are at that peak on streaming services with the exception of like the great criterion channel and things like that, of like so many things crest out, like we'll put the last 10 years of movies. And then as soon as it ticks over to, you know, uh, 2024 next year, there'll only be 2014 movies available at the edge of those things, you know? <laughs> and it's like, and so I, I feel like these are some of the ones I've been talking about in 2013 that just aren't on streaming services. Even they're not even there. No. And it's yeah. like, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, what, what, what some of the streamers think is important to our culture is slightly different to what we think. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm interested, but... interested to see if, I don't know if you've done it yet or if you will do it, but I'm interested if you do uh, man of steel to, to hear what you think of that, because that was 2013 and it took his cut of justice league for me to finally get what he was doing. And I want to go back and revisit his. Other... Okay. All right. Let's make yeah. a promise before the end of the year, we'll come back yeah. to man of steel. Cause this is my pre opinion of that show is that the third man of steel trailer is the best Superman movie that we never got. Absolutely. It, it, I, that, yeah. that, that there's a trailer that is a combination of Kevin Costner's Park Kent and Russell Crowe's Jarrell doing almost like, um, all-star Superman dialogue yeah, as the, as the trailer narration. And I just remember seeing that. And then Hans Zimmer's absolutely overwhelming score. It's and a I great score. Yeah. And I remember listening to it and going like, this is amazing. And then the movie never quite 
got there. Yeah. He just didn't get there. And, and, but, but I do love Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think the, the, the theatrical release was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I do have exactly, a soft spot. Yeah. I do have a soft spot for Batman v Superman because I do love much in the same way. We almost talked about Alec Baldwin, <laughs> that great one <laughs> for Alec Baldwin. I was like, I really love how much of a Lothario Ben Affleck could be. And can you imagine like what a Lothario Alec Baldwin's Bruce Wayne would have oh been my like, God. It just like, yeah. I mean, I, full, like full, like, uh, you know, panty dropping hotness of Alec Baldwin at the time. In it the was late crazy. 80s. Yeah. Crazy. It's in, and, and that, yeah, just really quick. Cause I know we're wrapping up, but yeah, I'm just afraid to rewatch man of steel, but more excited to rewatch BVS. I, I, but because I hated BVS aside from Affleck, I thought Affleck was tremendous in that movie. Um, it, Man of Steel was like a real disappointment for me, but like, I don't know, his his Justice League just really hit me all in all the right spots. It just it's so earnest, so emotional. It's like it's gorgeous, and that you, it, it almost I think I almost liked it most because it was a vindication for him after years of being like, there's no way this could actually be this good, and it's like, no, it is, and like he deserved to have his vision shown. And it wasn't and, just it wasn't just geeks, you know. I mean, there was a really awful community that were around that movie for the longest time, it, but the critics were like, you know what, this movie good, it's good, yeah, it's a really good yeah. movie, and. A lot of us are like, yeah, really good. You know, this is the kind of big, big superhero movie we want. And like, man, this poor guy. And people are like, make the make the Justice League trilogy. It's like, just leave him alone. Let him go. Yeah, make, let him do Rebel Moon. Yeah. Let him do yeah. Rebel Moon. Let him make cool ass fucking zombie movies with Dave Bautista. Let him do whatever he wants, but he yeah. doesn't have to do this. Leave, leave him alone. Yeah. My 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 hot take as as we wrap up is that I think his Justice League was so I don't even know so grandiose and everything and emotional for me that that should have been the last superhero movie ever made like they <laughs> they should have stopped with his Justice League. I don't disagree. League. I don't disagree. It's fine. It's, it's, it's we're 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 done, guys. You need a moratorium yeah. on these for many years. Yeah. But you know what? The better thing is when the genre sometimes genres die. Yeah. You know, and and you know, there's only like a few people in the world that like truly get that and i think one of them is like clint eastwood who watched westerns die you know yeah. he was in rawhide all the way to like outlaw josie wales ish era and then he goes off and makes like the you know renegade cop dirty harry movies with don siegel to start with and then goes on and makes them and it's like he, he watched westerns die in the 70s and 80s they just were like always this like sort of limping dead not the dominant voice in culture and superhero movies will die. They they're going to, they get there, you know, or, or they're going to completely scale back and we are already getting the feeling for that, but it's like, you know, then we'll have like a 20 year break where we actually make some other movies again and then they'll come back. Someone will yeah, figure we'll out a way for, for us yeah, to talk about we'll, them again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Like, I know we went on a ton of tangents, but this was, this is I the really... only, this is the only way yeah. that we can talk, Brandon. This is the only way that you and I can talk. It's like, exactly. We start mentioning people like Dolph Lundgren and you and I are like, okay, let's do, <laughs> let's do a, let's do a tight 20 on Dolph Lundgren. Um, but no, so we'll, we'll come back. Let's do Man of Steel. Um, a movie that, uh, I think is deeply flawed, but truly third trailer Man of Steel, the greatest Superman movie never made. Um, exactly. I remember watching it and like welling up with tears. I can still watch it to this day. Um, uh, a super dad, a super dad movie because like you've got like that that tone. I remember when my daughter was about to be born, I was listening to that soundtrack. I was like, what kind of dad am I going to be? Like, what kind of father wow. am I going to be? And so there's some heavy. Good, there's some heavy shit that um I, I could bring up with you that I've 
never mentioned until this moment on this podcast. And it, and it stars uh, and the two dads are America and Australia's dads. So that, like exactly, like, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they they well, are our dads. They are our dads. <laughs> Kevin Costner and Russell Crowe. <laughs> But this, this right. was this was really great. Thank you so much. This uh, is great. This is great. Yeah. And we'll talk soon because we're cooking up some other stuff for you guys to listen to. So this is exciting. Yeah, definitely. And th thanks again for having me. I'll talk to you soon. You're welcome, bro. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. And it feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency. And even then he might not have succeeded. It's incredible. Cause like, if you, if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark, a uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the historic place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a, you know, sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else has even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties. There are films of his that I hold very dear. Fearless, uh, you know, uh, The Mosquito Coast. I will fight somebody if they talk bad about The Mosquito Coast. It's, man, I love that movie. But in general, I just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it. But at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment. In, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old-fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know. <laughs> uh, and, 
Yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything. God bless you. But Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I, I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.